Hello, and welcome to the Anchor Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help guide and grow you in your walk with the Lord by providing an in-depth study of God's Word. So please grab your Bibles and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with this week's message. Anyway, that brings us to our sermon series in Genesis, obviously, and we are in the middle of Genesis 29, and this is the, the situation where Jacob is getting a taste of his own medicine. He has lied to his own father, he has manipulated the situation with his mom, and now he finds himself getting a taste of his own medicine. And we talked about that last week, that uh, the principle cannot be avoided, that whatever you dish out, you come back, it comes back and, 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 and gets you in the end. And that's the principle of reaping and sowing that we see in Scripture. And so Jacob's now getting a taste of that. We're going to touch on that a little bit today. But really what we're going to look at now is the deception that's going to happen to Jacob and how come Jacob doesn't see the deception. Uh, why is he so blind to Laban's devices and machinations? Why, why can't he see what's happening? Why can't, why, why can't most of America see what's happening to them? How come they're being deceived? How come they're being told, don't trust your lying eyes, what you see, uh, uh, this guy who claims to be a woman is a woman. Don't trust your lying eyes, right? And we, we, we get gaslighted all the time. Well, why are so many people getting deceived? Why are they falling for this? Because it's really easy to pick apart. Well, it's the same principle. And that's what we're, that's what we're gonna look about at when we look at Jacob is preventing deception. Okay, so he's getting a taste of his own medicine. He deceived his own father. Now he's gonna be deceived, but how did he miss it? And that's what I wanna focus in on. So what I wanna bring to you is what's going on currently in the world before we get into the text. Just so we understand that deception is all around us. And they're trying to gaslight us. And so one of the big things that they're trying to do in this election year is paint you and I as like extremists, right-wing uh, right extremists, um, um, MAGA, MAGA supporters, all this other junk that they're throwing at us. And now they're painting us as Christian nationalists. Now, let me, let me tell you something. There are Christian nationalists. Those people are off the chain, by the way. That doesn't represent you and I. We are not Christian nationalists. Christian nationalists believe that the Mosaic Law needs to be reinstituted. They believe that there should be a theocracy in the way of America uh, is concerned. And it's like, no, it, it, there's no such thing as a theocracy right now. It only will happen when Jesus comes back. And we're not gonna return back to the Mosaic Law and the penalties, that's crazy talk. So there are Christian nationalists and they are part of like a cult. They're part of the New Apostolic Reformation. They're part of Dominionists. They're, it's just weird. But what they're doing is now lumping you and I into that by broadening the definition of Christian nationalism, okay? So I want you to see how this woman on MSLSD broadens the definition to make everybody in this room a right-wing extremist. Okay, watch this. So what happened was he was surrounded by this more extremist element. You're going to hear words like Christian nationalism, like the new apostolic reformation. These are groups that you should get very, uh, very schooled on because they have a lot of power in Trump's circle. And the one thing that unites all of them, because there's many different groups orbiting Trump, but the thing that unites them as Christian nationalists, not Christians, by the way, because Christian nationalists is very different, mm -hmm. is that they believe that our rights as Americans, as all human beings, don't come from any earthly authority. They don't come from Congress. They don't come from the Supreme Court. They come from God. The problem with that is that they are determining man, men, mm -hmm. it is yeah. men, yeah. are determining what God is telling them. And in the past, that so-called natural law is, you know, it's a pillar of Catholicism, for, mm -hmm. Catholicism, for instance, it's been used for good in social justice campaigns. Right. Martin Luther King evoked it in talking about civil rights. But now you have an extremist element of conservative Christians who say that this applies specifically to issues including abortion, gay marriage, and it's going much further than that, as you see, for instance, with the ruling in Alabama right. this week, that judge is connected to that dominionist uh, faction. Excuse me, I, 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 I might be dumb, but I'm not stupid. I went to high school, I think you did too. I graduated Delano High School. That doesn't make me the sharpest knife in the drawer, I can tell you that right now. 
But I took civics and economics in high school like you did. What does she forget about our founding documents? We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and they endowed by the government, Joe Biden? No, by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Where did she miss that? Do you understand what she just did? She broadened the definition of a right-wing extremist, Christian nationalist, and said anybody that believes rights come from God is a Christian nationalist. That's what she just did. And people are like, uh-huh, uh-huh. They just agreed with it on the, on the panel, right? Did you notice that? I'm telling you, we are dealing with people who are lying about us, about God, about the Bible, about even our founding documents. So, so anyone that believes rights come from God is, a, is an extremist? Yes, now, and, and, and understand this. Where this is going is to shut you and I up. That's where this is going. So look at this, what's happening in Canada. Just Again, you have to see what the big picture is. Canada is, is moving towards passing this bill that removes religious exemptions from criminalizing speech. Now, what do you mean? Well, right now in Canada, if you are, if you are a Christian and you say, I disagree with gay marriage, I disagree with transgenderism, you have a religious exemption that they don't count that as hate speech. But they're, they're looking to reverse that now and say that if you, it doesn't matter if you're a Christian or whatever your religious affiliation, if you disagree with the woke narrative, that's hate speech. And that's probably gonna pass in Canada because as you can see, 66% of Canadians like totally agree with that. And don't think for a moment that's not gonna come here. That what we say eventually will be hate speech, uh, disinformation, misinformation, because that's what they're doing. Like I told you, the World Economic Forum puts that as a number one threat to their crazy globalist agenda is misinformation and disinformation, which translated means anybody speaking the truth has to be silenced. That's what's happening here. And, and that's where the, the lies are coming out about you and I and basically to take away our freedoms and enslave us. And here's the thing. Most people are deceived about this. And because they're deceived, they buy into the lie and they become enslaved. Now, why am I pointing this out? Because that is exactly what will happen to Jacob. And there's a telltale sign I want to show you guys. You decide to live independent and you decide to, to manage life on your own without God, which many people do. You are set up for deception. And when you're set up for deception and you are deceived, it will inevitably lead to slavery which that's what happened with Jacob. It will happen to the nation of Israel, and it can happen to you and I. And it's happening right now in the Western world. People are being deceived because they don't want anything to do with God. And so the Luciferian tactics that are being used, okay, on people cannot be spotted. Look, man, let me, let me point this out. If Satan and the demons are using useful idiots to deceive us, it doesn't matter what IQ the person has. They can have an IQ of, of, of uh, Einstein of 165. You're dealing with creatures that probably have an IQ of 1,000 or 2,000. How can even the, the best of the humans, the smartest of the humans, outdo the intelligence of Satan or demons or fallen angels or whatever? They're on a whole different category. And therefore, it shows you, you and I have to be totally dependent on God for our information, in his, uh, 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 for our wisdom and lead and understanding. Otherwise, we're going to get smoked. We're just going to get throttled by this world. And that's what's happened even to a lot of Christians. Again, what is the principle? You live independent from God, don't want any help from him, don't want any, any advice from him, then you're set up for deception and that, once you're deceived, you'll be a slave. That's what we're learning here. So let's go to Jacob, okay? Now Jacob is meeting his match, the master of, 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 uh, of tricking people, the master of manipulation, Laban, his future father-in-law. Now again, all of this is now God allowing this to happen under his providence, but he's gonna teach Jacob a lesson. He wants this, this manipulation out of him, okay? So now he's gonna give him a taste of his own medicine. 
So here's where it starts. Then Laban said to Jacob, because you are my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me what, your, what should your wages be? Now, it seems innocuous. It seems like, what's the big deal? It's a setup. It's a trap. That's what's happening. How come Jacob can't see it? That's what you and I have to figure out. Why can't he see this? No, because it seems like no big deal, but what's the point? Notice what he says. He's only been visiting. He's went up there to find a bride, and the whole point of him going up to Haran is to find a bride. But already he's starting to serve. Now, this is, a, this is a, 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 a giving him of his own medicine. Jacob has already been prophesied that the older will serve the younger. That, the, 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 that Esau or his descendants would have served Israel or Jacob, okay? And they would be in a kind of a, 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 a one-up situation, okay? So what's happened is Jacob has went out there and because God has given him a taste of his own medicine, God has reversed it and now Jacob is serving Laban. It's already started. The trap has already been set and Jacob bought into it. And here's the question. How did he not see this? Because he's not asking God anything about this journey up there to find a wife. He didn't say, hey, Lord, I, I, I want to find the right woman. Please guide me to find the right uh, woman to marry. He's not even asking God. So God's like, all right, you want to do this on your own? You'll meet Laban, and I'm not going to tell you what he's going to do to you, and you're not going to see it because you're not asking me. And that's kind of what's happening. He, he, he's he's, he's Jacob's problem is he's too independent. He's functioning on his own. So here's, here's where the trap and the bait is. Now, Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were delicate, but Rachel was beautiful of form and appearance. Now, the thing about the Hebrew and, and the, uh, the idea of, of Leah's eyes, it... it it's hard. It's really hard because it can go one of two ways. It can mean that she has some type of seeing problem, that she's partially blind, that she has something wrong with her eyes. It can mean that. It can mean just she's not as beautiful because the focus in the Middle East would be the eyes. And so her eyes were, were not as beautiful as Rachel's. And so the contrast with Leah and Rachel, as you can see in the text, that Rachel's very beautiful. And when the scripture says someone's beautiful or someone's handsome, they are objectively that way. Uh, you'll see that with uh, Sarah being called beautiful on this one. Rachel's called beautiful. And even the men, David's called handsome and Joseph is called handsome. And, um, and so anyway, the contrast is Rachel's beautiful in form, okay? Now, why is that a problem? It's a problem for Jacob, okay? Because I want you to see something in verse 18. Now, Jacob loved Rachel, now, wait a second. Let's, let's take time out. You just met her. Remember? What, what do you mean you just love her? What, do you, what are you talking about? You just met her. So what we start seeing from the context will determine what the Hebrew word is saying. And yes, it's a human love. It's a human affection. And it could be translated a romantic passion. Okay? So in context, since he has no relationship whatsoever, he, he met her already, but that's it. They had one, uh, uh, one interaction He's already wanting to marry the woman, okay? What does that tell you what kind of love, based on the context, he's illustrating? It's kind of like a teenager thing, right? Uh, you know, an infatuation. It's, um, it's uh, you know, love at first sight, but that's really usually based on physical appearance. He hasn't connected to Rachel intellectually. He hasn't connected to her emotionally. And more importantly, he has never connected to Rachel spiritually, so we have a situation in which J uh, Jacob is being led astray because of physical appearance, okay? So what does he do? So he, sa so so he said, I will serve seven years for Rachel for your younger daughter. Wait a second. You're saying you're willing to, to put yourself in servitude to Laban willingly for seven years to get her. I mean, really, you, you, you bought the farm, so to speak. You know, it's like, really, you, you went that extreme? You don't even know the girl. But again, he's not seeing the whole picture. He's like, this is, this is it. This is the one. This is, I know it's the one. And it's like, dude, you're going to get yourself in a mess. 
And Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than I should give her to another man. Stay with me. Yeah, I bet he does like that because he's going to put him to work. I got another farmhand on my hands and this is going to be great. He's going to take full advantage of the situation. Okay. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel. And they seemed only a few days to him because of the love he had for her, which, okay, so he's, he's pumped up that he gets to marry her and that's carrying him through everything and, and he's emotional about the whole deal. Um, but at the end of the day, he doesn't realize he's been put to work as a slave. He's serving Laban for her. Now, what's gonna end up happening is he's not just gonna serve Laban for seven years, he's gonna serve him another seven years and then, and then a few more, and it'll give a total of 20 years in which Jacob serves Laban. Again, to give Jacob a taste of his own medicine. Now, please understand, let's take a step back. God's overruling all of this. There's no doubt about that. His providence has guided him to, to Rachel and, and the whole situation because the 12 tribes of Israel are gonna come out of this, this family, okay? But here's the thing. Jacob's gonna end up with four wives, two wives, and two concubines. And that will be where the nation of Israel comes out of. So if Jacob could ask God to help him out in this situation, maybe we wouldn't have had so many problems that Jacob would have had, okay? So obviously, he's serving. Okay, let me give you a principle. The principle is, and what Jacob's doing, and why he cannot see the problem, why he's blind to it, and seeing not, not seeing the setup, is because Jacob is making the physical the priority rather than the spiritual, okay? Because he, what's, the whole, what's the passage trying to say? She's beautiful. I've got to have her. She's the one. How do you know she's the one? You don't even know her character. You don't know her personality. Uh, you don't know anything about her. You don't know her history. You don't know anything about her. Yet you're willing to put yourself into slavery for her because what you see. That has to get out of Jacob. This, this superficial, I, I make decisions based on the physical, uh, is totally wrong. Now, again, we, we talk to uh, our young people about dating, and, and, and let's make, a, let's make a, a quick application about this, okay? We talk about what's going on in our culture. It's called the hookup culture. And what they do is they just hook up with each other based on appearance, based on experience, but they're not hooking up because they're friends, they're, that, that, or they, they connect spiritually. They're not hooking up because they're intellectually connected. They're not hooking up because they're emotionally connected. It's just looks, basically, a physical appearance, and they hook up, and we have a major problem with this, because then, then one day, they get tired of hooking up, and they hook up with somebody, and then want to marry them, and then they marry them, and it, it, if they marry based on physical appearance, that will last you about two years, about two years. The novelty will wear off in about two years if it's all about physical. What do you mean? Well, see, what happens is people think they're bonded because they physically have come together, but they're not bonded spiritually, they're not bonded emotionally, and they're not bonded mentally. So the way God has arranged this, and you read the Song of Solomon for this, the way God has arranged it is you need to connect spiritually first, mentally, then emotionally, and then if that's all working, then you get married, and then you bond physically. That's the pattern. But our culture is reversing everything. So then they get married based on physicality, and then they wonder why they married a creep or a clown or a witch or a, a test pilot at the broom factory. And they can't figure out why, why are we not connecting? Well, it's because after two years, the physical connection will lose and you're not connected on the three, three other levels. Now, here's marriage 101. How do people keep the fire stoked? How do, how do marriage people uh, continue to keep romantic with each other after 20, 30, 40, 50 years? Well, it's simple. And the way God has structured it is this way. If you could connect spiritually and you can connect mentally and emotionally connection, it will create the novelty for romance. But you have to do these three in order to keep the fire stoked. But if you don't do these three, 
then the physicality will not carry you through after a decade or two, 20 years or three. It just won't happen because you're not doing the connection on these levels. Okay, that's marriage, that's dating. Let's now move to the issue here at hand. Making the physical the priority over the spiritual is going to cause deception. So what's happening right now in the culture is they're fooling a lot of Christians because they're promising them you can keep your job, you can keep your security, you can keep your money as long as you play ball with us. As long as you go woke, church, you can keep your doors open and we won't come after you for hate speech or we won't take away your job because you refuse to be vaccinated or whatever. But you must play by our rules. And what happens is people put the priority of the physical and it could be not necessarily romance, it could be money, it could be position, status, comfort, security. Those are all physical decisions, right? And, and what ends up happening is if you prioritize that, you will be deceived. So for instance, people, uh, you know, they, they, they want to think about moving California. And I've always used this as an illustration and it's like, okay, fine. But make sure that God led you because if you're moving from California and it's not a spiritual decision where God has led you to where you can go to the, the new environment that you're going to and in that environment, uh, you have a healthy spiritual environment that allows you to grow, that allows you to serve more and is beneficial to your family. If you can't tell me that, then you're not making a spiritual decision. You're making a physical decision economics, or maybe it's a safety and security. I, I'm, I feel unsafe in California. So, well, I'm sorry, that's not a spiritual decision. Let's just all be honest here. Or how about, I, I want to send my kid to college. Okay, good luck on that one. But if you play the game of, I want my kid to have a bunch of degrees behind his name, and I want, I want the status and the prestige of either the East Coast Ivy Leagues, or I want the West Coast Ivy Leagues, then you're making a physical decision. I wouldn't send my dog to Stanford or Harvard for that matter. I wouldn't. I mean, you know, what's, what's the big deal of sending them to uh, Yale or, or, or Princeton or Columbia or Cornell or any of them or Stanford or whatever or Berkeley? What's the point of the, doing that? They get all these degrees and they end up being like a dog that walks on its hind legs. It's very impressive, but what good is the dog? All he can do is walk on its hind legs. So what? So at the end of the day, the people play the game of prestige. That's a physical decision. That's a, that's a material decision, not a spiritual decision. I would send my kid to Harvard so they can come out an anti-Semite? Really? Who thinks like that? Oh, people that don't think spiritually, that's why. Now, Jesus illustrated this point. In the temptation that he went through, obviously, illustrates this point. Notice this. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Now what's the purpose of fasting for 40 days and 40 nights? It's the purpose of putting the physical secondary to the spiritual. That's what he's doing. He is in control of his physical appetites and puts them at bay is the idea of the fasting. That's what fasting does. It puts the physical second and the spiritual first. So he does it before he starts his ministry. Now, when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. Okay, so, so feed your physical appetites. Okay, but he answered and said to him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So what is the Messiah saying? He said, look, I'm not denying that man needs physical food. I'm not denying that. I am telling you that I'm not gonna misprioritize the spiritual over the physical, or the, the physical over the spiritual. I'm gonna make sure it's in order. And what the devil is trying to do is get him out of order. Put the, the physical first and not the spiritual. That's what he's trying to say. So the application in any decision that we make in life, whether we send our kids to certain colleges, whether we move, whether we do this, whether kind of employment I have, whatever, I better make a decision based on the spiritual, not the physical. If we do, like, like, like Jacob is doing, you can get caught in deception and it will lead to slavery, okay? You will become a slave at some point in time to something if you get deceived. Now, let's move to this point. 
Verse 21, then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife for my days are fulfilled that I may go into her. So it's like, hey, seven years, it's time to marry Rachel, I'm ready. So give me my wife. This is the deal we brokered. But here's the thing, you brokered a deal with the devil. You decided to dance with the devil and guess what kind of things you get back from the devil? You have made a Faustian decision and bargain with Laban. And you will pay more disproportionately than you what you thought, Jacob, because you have made a deal with the devil. It's always that way, okay? And Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. Sounds normal, but it's not. Now it came to pass in the evening, in the evening, so at nighttime when there's no sun, no light. It's the theme of darkness versus light and what's happening. At night, you can't see as good, right? You can't see as good. It's dark. Something's going to happen because now you can't see. How did, wait, let's, let's go back one chapter. When Jacob deceived his father, what condition was his father in? He's blind. His father's blind. His father's in the dark. And now Jacob is being put in the dark. He is being blinded by no, ha having no light. Oh, got it. That he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Oh, there you go. He thinks he's getting married. Here's the wedding night. And he goes and consummates the marriage, and lo and behold, it's not Rachel. She has been switched, and it's Leah. And he wakes up that morning and realizes he's married to the wrong woman. How do you like that one? Talk about deception. Talk about manipulation. He just had a big one pulled on him. And now what does he do? Well, let's talk about that. And Laban gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah as a maid. And she was going to play into the, the 12 tribes of Israel as well. So this will... He will eventually go to her as a concubine. But let's, let's talk about this. Here's what everyone asks. How in the world did he miss that? How did he not see that, that this was a different woman? Well, let's start off with understanding the Middle East a little bit. Let's understand what's going on so we can understand the context. Because most people will say, you got to be crazy to think I'm, I'm going to believe that he was fooled into this. And he just went, and, and he just went all the way. Well, the first thing you have to understand is, it is, it is appropriate, and what I'm showing you is a picture of a woman, a Bedouin woman, that's in Israel and in the Middle East, and a lot of the Bedouins practice the ancient practices of marriage. But according to the Newsy tablets, women wore veils on their wedding night throughout the, the whole wedding night, okay? And, and, and so it's dark, he can't see her face because if she's wearing something to like that, this is a modern-day Bedouin, by the way, at a marriage ceremony, and I'm showing you. You can't make out who it is, okay? Uh, other, other commentators have said, too, you remember, you're, they're, in, they're in tents, okay? And that means that people live close to you, and so you learn in tents to keep your voices down. So they're probably whispering uh, through the night or whatever, and so no one's talking real loud because you're living in tents and you're living next to people, and the only thing separating your voice from the other tent is a thin piece of cloth. So people learn to speak very quietly, okay? So, so, so you can't discern through whisper. Furthermore, there's a feast. At the feast, they drink wine. So yeah, probably he's a little, he's a little bit inebriated. Um, so you, you put all these factors in, and it's totally understandable how he got deceived and woke up in the morning with the wrong woman. It's totally understandable, but you have to understand, put, you have to put it in that context to see that. So, it happens. And now we got a problem. I'm married to the wrong woman. So again, again, not to belabor this, but here's the point. What you dish out, you get back. And sometimes you get back disproportionately more than what you dished out. Look at the, the connections that God is trying to show us with what happens to Jacob. A parent was involved in both situations, wasn't it? So you got Laban involved, and then you got uh, uh, Rebecca involved. Okay. Jacob is blind to the schemes of Laban like his, like his father was blind. 
It happened in darkness, so it's a blindness theme. Jacob was lied to like he, was lied, like he lied to his father. Jacob desires to marry the younger of the daughters, but the older daughter stands in the way, just like Esau stood in the way of Jacob and his mom's plans. Hmm, interesting. Jacob experiences the pain of betrayal like his father did. He thought Leah was Rachel as Isaac thought Jacob was Esau. Same thing. Leah pretended to be Rachel as Jacob pretended to be Esau. Jacob protests like Esau protests, but to no avail. The line had been crossed. And Jacob wanted social conventions to be set aside, but it would only be set aside if God desired it. How can you have almost the exact thing happen to Jacob and not see the hand of God giving back to Jacob the medicine he dished out? Boy, howdy. Again, I the, the principle that what you throw out comes back to you like a boomerang. That's God proving that. And why is he trying to do that? Why does he do this? To get it out of Jacob. Stop doing this way of living. Okay, let me give you an example. So what's happening, let's, go, let's take a step back and look at the culture. We are seeing in our culture that we're getting back that which we sowed in the culture. That's what we, that which we sowed in the West is now coming back to bite us. We all understand that, right? And, and after decade after decade of sowing to the wind, we're now having a hurricane hit us. And so look at, the, look at how stupid our society has become. So here's another techno hell they're ready to dish onto us. Scientists, and again, I actually think that should be put in quotes, proposed dust shield launched from the moon to block the sunlight for climate change. That is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. I am now dumber for having heard that. <laughs> Scientists are proposing a dust shield to stop climate change. Well, first of all, climate change is fake. Uh, it, 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 sorry, man-made climate change is fake, so it's a hoax. And you're going to th throw up dust in the atmosphere? Don't think these, these idiots wouldn't do that. Bill Gates has already talked about doing that. So you do that, and I want to ask the scientists, if they are scientists, what are the ramifications of dimming the light of the sun on the planet? What would, what would happen to the planet? What would happen to the agriculture? What would happen to the animals? What would happen to all of creation if you did that? Well, I don't know. It, was, it, it, it stopped the warming. I mean, stupid, stupid, stupid. But this is what happens when you sow to the wind. Now, here's another thing. We sow to the wind, we reap a hurricane. So voting has consequences, okay? Voting has consequences. Elections have consequences. This is a big election year. And a lot of Christians just sit it out, unfortunately. But let me tell you this. If you're not awakened by what you have seen by this last election, then your wood's wet. And you need to have a fire lit under you. Because... 10 million illegal aliens have come through our, our country, our southern border, and we don't know where they're at. We don't know what they're doing. We got people from China here. We got people from the Middle East. We don't know where they're at. We don't know what they're doing. They're coming from all over the world. And yet, Mayorkas, the Biden administration is telling you, look, it's all sealed up. Don't worry. It, it, there's no there's not 10 million people coming up. It's totally secure. Uh, people are not coming in by the, by the droves. Um, and, and, and in the people that are coming across, they're just families with young kids and children that just want a better life. So watch this video. This is a bus that's picked up illegal aliens coming into our country and then instead of deporting them, has brought them to San Diego and let them come out. Now I want you to see what your lying eyes tell you. Look at all the young families. Look at all the babies. Look at all the women. Look at all the nursing mothers that are coming through. Look at all the fathers with their families and they just want a better life. And, don't, and, and if, you, you, if you don't believe what I'm saying, you're a racist. You're a racist because these people just want a better life and they're just families. They're just families. Look at all the women. Look at all the, the, the little children. Boy. 
Don't believe your lying eyes is what they say. That's not happening. That's not happening on the border. Don't believe your lying eyes. When you, reap, when you sow to the wind, you reap a whirlwind. We are being invaded and intentionally. And it has nothing to do with race. It has to do with values. It's a values issue. That's what it is. Now, here's what happened in St. Patrick's Cathedral. Now, I don't feel sorry for them because when you invite um, people into your church that are trans activists, okay? I mean, hardcore trans activists. And you decide that you're going to have a funeral and allow the trans activists to have a funeral in St. Patrick's Cathedral right in smack dab in the middle of Manhattan at the archdiocese there. And then they blow a gasket while they're in your church and desecrate your church and go crazy. I don't have any sympathy for you. None whatsoever. This is what happens when you do that. Now, what I can show you is just a little bit of what happened in it. But it got so bad that apparently the Catholic Church had to have a mass of reconsecration of the facilities after the transvestites were done with it. Okay? So here's a part of what I can only show you. But if you reap, you sow to the wind, you reap a whirlwind. Inside, Mind of you, the church. inside of a church. In St. Patrick's Church, yes. Well, 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 now that looks like the undertaker. Go ahead. As well. no, it's, it's one of the village people. This whore. <laughs> this whore. Oh, my. This great whore. Yep. Demons in church. St. Cecilia. Mother of all whores. Is that the devil in the back? Look at the guy wearing the red suit. Yeah. Is that the devil? See, look at the prick. What? Dude. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. If lightning struck in there... <laughs> I wouldn't be I wouldn't be surprised. What blasphemous mm -hmm. So uh, that's the, that's nothing. That's nothing compared to what they did. Okay? And and I, I'm shocked that the priest didn't get struck by a lightning bolt. He just sits there and lets it happen and they go crazy. Now they didn't shorten it and everything, but it it it, it went off the chain. What's the point? When you want to dance with the devil, what do you think you're going to get back from the devil? You're going to open the thing, we're going to have a, a funeral for a, a, a transvestite, and what do you think is going to happen? Okay, you deserve that, Catholic Church. Verse 25, so it came to pass in the morning that, behold, it was Leah, yeah, uh-oh, and he said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served you? Why then have you deceived me? I have no sympathy for you, Jacob, because I want to know if at that moment, at that moment, when you got served up your medicine, did you realize those are the very words of your father? Why did you deceive me? I wonder if it sunk in. I don't know. I don't know. When it happens to me, I can tell you what it does. When I get served my own medicine, it stuns me. It actually puts me out of, out of commission for a while because it, it, it dismantles me. It, it, it discombobulates me. It, it, it shocks me that when I get served that, that my own medicine, it, it sets me back. I don't like the feeling um, when I recognize it, but sometimes I don't. And so I don't know if Jacob recognizes it or not. How would you recognize it? The only way you would recognize it, if you had any introspection whatsoever, if you were only being honest with yourself and say to yourself, I'm getting a taste of my own medicine, I deserve this. I deserve this. That is the only way you would recognize it. But I don't know if he does that. He doesn't say that. He's just ticked off. Okay? And, we, and it continues on. And Laban said, look at his excuse. Classic, classic politician. It must not be done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. <laughs> so he says, Jacob, you, you're, this is what you don't understand. In our culture, we do things this way. I'm sorry you didn't know our culture. I'm sorry you didn't know our social norms. Yeah, if you would have known that, you know, you, you would have known that I can't give you Rachel first. I got to give you Leah. Sorry, man, this is, my hands are tied. This is the way the culture is. Let me ask you this. When, when Jacob gets up there to Haran and he's at the well and they're watering the flocks, if you recall, he says to them, hey man, 
why don't we water the sheep first and then later on bring in the bigger cattle and, and animals and then water them second? And you remember what they said to him? We don't do things like that here. We have different customs. That should have been his clue right there. You're in foreign territory, you're in a different land, and they do things differently over there. It is on you that you didn't know. It is on you. And the issue then becomes, Jacob, this is what you pay when you don't ask God for help and you don't ask God to reveal things to you and you don't ask God for lead or wisdom. You are on your own and you're gonna deal with the devil because you're not asking. So, oh, Laban's like, you didn't know the custom. Sorry, we do things differently here. Sorry, fulfill her week and we will give you this one also for the service which you will serve me still another seven years. Thank you very much. Laban has another slave for another seven years. And he is laughing all the way to the bank on this one. I got him for seven. I got him for another seven. And it'll be a total of 20 years altogether, give or take. It's like Laban's won. Jacob, you met your match. I hope you learned from him. So what's the point? What's the principle? What's, what, why is Jacob not seeing the deception? Why do we not see the deception? Why are most of Christians not seeing the deception? Let me tell you how it works. It's self-reliance, which is built on pride. And, it's, and, and when that self-reliance gets to the point where it's not dependent on God, you're gonna be deceived, and then you're gonna be enslaved. That's the, how, how it goes. So it starts with this independent self-reliance, okay? So let's unpack this a little bit. In America, one of the values in America is to be self-reliant, is to be independent. Okay, that's a good value, but how do I know when it crosses a line? It crosses a line when you stop being dependent on God. That's when it crosses a line. When you think, and I think, I got this all figured out. I got this one. I don't need any help. Jacob's at that point. And I'll tell you this, it's the same problem that Israel will have throughout its history and is having today. Here's what starts happening. Whether it's Israel or whether it's you and I, what tends to happen is God starts blessing us and we take those blessings not as if they come from God, but as if something that we have achieved, okay? Rather than God giving us to it, we are self-made men. We are self-made women. We built this. We did this. And once you go there, you're now independent of God and you're self-reliant, and that's when the devil comes after you. Fine. You don't want to be relying on him? I will deceive you and then enslave you. That's what starts happening. Now, let's talk about Israel for a second. Let's step back and do an application of the nation of Israel as a whole. Remember, Jacob is a typology for the nation of Israel. So what you see sometimes happen to Jacob points to the nation of Israel. Jacob wrestles with God. His name is changed to Israel. Israel also wrestles with God, do they not? Okay, so what happens here is you start seeing the pattern of Jacob in Israel's history. So let's take the Exodus period. Israel initially goes into Goshen to avoid, obviously, a famine and uh, uh, Joseph's down there and Joseph's second in command and takes care of them while they're in Goshen. Do you know what happens in Goshen? They start multiplying and they're, and they're prospering and they're doing really well, really well to the size of possibly 2 million people and they're having babies and, and they're doing great. And what does Pharaoh first say? We're going to be attacked by these people. We're, they're a threat to us. He makes up a lie. And so the first thing he says, let's enslave them. You know, and, and, and let's, let's, take, uh, let's kill the baby boys, the whole nine yards. And what ends up happening is Israel gets enslaved, don't they? Right? So Israel's built up. They're building up. And then when Moses finally gets on the scene, Moses says, well, who am I going to say is sending me? And God says, I am, which is the word, it's where we get the term Yahweh, the, 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 the eternal one, right? And, and he goes, I'm the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And you're thinking, wait a second. And I read the commentaries on this and, and the theologians, and they're like, why is Moses having to say this? 
to them and give the name of God. And I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why does he have to say that? He all, you would think all he needs to say is, hey, the Lord talked to me, and here's what we need to go, what needs to happen. It's because a lot of times, over 400 years, most of Israel had forgotten even the name of God. They had forgotten the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so, so, so he has to be, like, be reintroduced in a lot of ways. Not everybody, but the, the nation as a whole have to, has to be reintroduced. And, and they're in a state of slavery, haven't they? Now we move to the Babylonian exile. In this situation, Israel has disobeyed God. In this situation, they've allowed false, uh, uh, false gods to come into their life. And, and, and so they've added that to their, to, to their repertoire of gods that they worship. And so God says, fine, you disobey me, you're going into exile. And a lot of this comes from independence. They're doing their own thing. And so what do they do? Go into 70 years of captivity or exile or slavery. Huh, same pattern. Now let's go to the first century and to 70 AD. So the religious leaders, not all of Israel, the religious leaders reject the Messiah and have him crucified, okay? So the Messiah is rejected. Israel's put on the shelf temporarily. We're gonna be, Israel's gonna be used in the future. So God gives Israel 40 years to get their act straightened out. And by 70 AD, they haven't, okay? So the religious leaders have not come any closer to accepting the Messiah. So... Rome comes in, destroys the temple, destroys Jerusalem, kills about 1.2 Jews, million Jews, according to Josephus, and then sends them into exile. And the first exile comes from 70 AD. The next one will come in 136 with Bar Kokhba's rebellion, and most of the Jews are dispersed throughout the lands of the Gentiles. Okay, within those lands, if you study the history of Israel, they're subservient to the Gentile nations in which they are in. And so in, in, in the dispersa, dispersion or the diaspora, many of them cannot do and don't have the freedom that they had once as a nation. So they're subjected, they're subdued in the Gentile countries. Again, slavery in, in many ways. And in some points, as you saw, they got put in ghettos, right? And, and encapsulated basically their own prisons, right? In Nazi Germany and whatnot. Again, what happened? Independent, we're going to make a decision not to accept the Messiah. Deception leads to slavery. And now let's talk about today. Now let's talk about today. Israel has been called back home, 1948, and it became a, re, a, 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 a reconstituted, 1948, became a nation again, preparing the way for what's getting ready to happen prophetically. And Israel, instead of responding to God's call all the way to come back to faith in him and come back in the Messiah, Israel continues to do the same thing it used to do in the Old Testament, and that is make alliances with people or nations that get them in trouble every time. Right now, Israel's in a bind with the United States. The Biden administration has a pro-Iranian, pro-Palestinian policy and does not have a pro-Israel policy. That is where it's at. And I can tell you, those surrounding Biden, I know, I know Biden is weakened at Bernie's. I get that. He's not calling the shots. He is weakened at Bernie's, okay? And, but the people around Biden are anti-Semitic. They hate Israel. And this, these are leftovers from the Obama era, okay? That being the case, Israel gets most of its weaponry from the United States, Okay, it's rockets for Iron Dome, all that, United States, okay? So what happens when the United States, the Biden administration says, you will conduct yourself in the way we tell you with Hamas, with Hezbollah, with, with Iran, or else we will stop the weapons flowing into you. You will do what we tell you to do, Netanyahu, we will do what we, we tell you, you will do what we tell you to do, 74% of the population. We will tell you what to do. And if you don't, we'll pull, the, we'll pull the purse strings on you. That's the situation Israel is facing right now. America does not want them to eliminate Hamas. America does not want them to deal with Hezbollah in the north, which we know all they have to. 
And America definitely doesn't want them to deal with Iran because I, the, the pro-Iranian policy is that if we give strategic wins to Iran, then Iran will calm down their proxies and we can have stability in the region. Baloney. Iran is a megalomaniac group that can't be reasoned with. You can't appease the evil. You have to eliminate, and Israel knows this. So guess what's getting ready to happen? A split between the United States and Israel is occurring. Now they're going to try to throw Netanyahu out and all kinds of stuff is going to go down. Okay? Uh, Blinken and all of them, they can't stand Netanyahu. But I can tell you this from a prophetic, prophetic standpoint. I know where this goes. And so do you if you know the Bible. This coming split between America and Israel is going to leave Israel vulnerable by herself in an isolated state. And Israel, because they don't manufacture their own weapons, because they do depend on the United States for money, was a big mistake, a huge mistake. And it's going to cost them because of that. Because all it takes is for their friend, uh, the Biden administration, just to stab them in the back. That's what's happening, okay? So then Israel's going to be out there hanging in the wind, and they, they, have, they face an existential threat with Hezbollah, Iran, and even Hamas if they don't finish off Hamas and the Palestinians, okay? So then what will Israel do? Because they need weapons, they need finances. So right now they're a slave to the United States and they're getting ready to break away from that slavery. It's possible that if the United States and Israel split up and Israel goes its own way because they have, to, they have to protect themselves, and I don't blame them, I hope they do. I hope they do protect themselves, but it's gonna leave them vulnerable. And then a guy with a man with a plan will come and say, I'll protect you. I'll give you the weaponry, I'll give you the finances, and I'll be your new best friend if you'll let me do a covenant with you. Wait a second, what did I say? You live independent, not going to God, you will be deceived by the Antichrist who makes a deal with you and then you will be enslaved. And that's exactly what the Antichrist does. He not only kills two thirds of Israel, but he enslaves them in Babylon. Oh, I have just taken you from Exodus to the future and it's the same pattern. Same thing, Jacob. Same thing with us, church. Same pattern. You can't get past it. So here, what's the solution? What's the solution to all of this? What's the solution for Jacob? What's the solution for us? What's the solution for Israel or America to wake up? Well, Jacob's trouble is for Israel. Daniel chapter 12, verse 7 says, when the power of the holy people has been completely shattered... Then, and only then, will they call on Yeshua to save them. Wait a second. Oh. So that means this. That to get out of this funk of being independent is you've got to be put flat on your back to where you have no other place to look up other than up and asking for God for help. Oh, that doesn't sound fun. No, it's not. It's called Jacob's trouble. It's called the worst time in human history to get Israel out of this, this, this mindset. Now, look, don't, don't beat up on Israel because we have the same problem. We act independent. The church acts independent like it doesn't need Jesus. I mean, they're clowns running the show. But here's the application in all of this. The scripture says to us, Humble yourself. It's actually a command to humble yourself. Now you have an option here. How do you prevent yourself from being deceived and being enslaved? Well, it's simple. Humble yourself. Huh, sounds easier said than done. Yeah, it is. But what does that mean? Humbling yourself means that you have to admit your spiritual poverty. That you're destitute spiritually. That without God, you're nothing. That without him, you have no clue where you're going. You have no direction whatsoever. And, in, and, and deep down inside of you, your sin nature has broken you, has bent you, has corrupted you, and so you need all the help you can get. You can't get yourself out of the state in which you're in. You need help from the outside by the eternal one. Okay, that's how you humble yourself 
And it's not just salvation, it's how you have to function. You have to function all the time like this. Like, you, you, you wake up in the morning and say, I don't have a clue what I'm doing. God, please help me. I don't have a clue. Okay, that's humble, okay? So here's the choice. You can either do it that way and humble yourself and admit your spiritual poverty and function like that, or you can keep the attitude of, I got this one, and have God humble you. Which one would you take? I think it's pretty easy. I think this is the option here of, let's do it ourselves. Let's not go through Jacob's trouble, so to speak, in our own personal lives and go through our own Armageddon for God to wake us up and saying, quit being independent of me. Now, let me show you something real quick. And I gotta bring some typology and this will blow your socks off. You ready for your socks to come off your feet? Okay, here it goes. Then Jacob did so and fulfilled her week. So he gave him, her, him his daughter, Rachel, as his wife also. And Laban gave his maid, Billah, and she will play into the 12 tribes of Israel as well to his daughter, Rachel, as a maid. Then Jacob also went into Rachel and he also loved Rachel more than Leah. We're gonna get to that one next week. It's a whole mess, whole mess going with favoritism with two wives and four. Anyway, and he served with Laban still another seven years. So there's the servitude. Okay, it's typology. Not only is Jacob a picture of Israel, he is also a picture of the Messiah. So certain things that happen in Jacob's life picture that of the Messiah, foreshadow that which the Messiah will do. Now let me get, again, what does the text teach you? Jacob ends up with two wives. How is that relatable to the Messiah? You letting this sink in? So Israel is called the wife of Yahweh. What is the church called? Bride of Christ, two women, two vehicles that God is using, right, to reach the nations. So guess this, so, so you get in the typology, two women, Jacob's married to two women. So who's, who is Rachel and who is Leah? Have you figured it out? Jacob wants Rachel first. He came to his own, right? But his own didn't want him. I'm not talking about the religious leaders. So Israel gets a timeout. They're put on the back burner. And so Messiah then creates the ecclesia, the called out ones, which we now call the bride of the Messiah, and then is functioning through the church now, and then the church will end when the rapture happens, and then he goes back to the first woman. So who's Rachel? Israel, thank you. But he couldn't get Rachel at the beginning, could he? Because he got tricked. I'm not saying Messiah got tricked, but again, it's, it's the pattern you're looking at. So he, he, want, he came after Israel, Religious leaders rejected him, so he creates the church, and the church is Leah in the story. But, but wait, wait, one more detail. How long does, does Jacob have to work to get Rachel? Seven years. I think I read somewhere, someplace, in some book, in some chapter... That in order to get Israel back, they must be put through a seven-year tribulation. And at the end of that tribulation, according to Hosea chapter 6, Israel will come to faith in their Messiah and then be wed when their Messiah comes at the second coming. Three days prior to that, they'd get saved. So, so it's after seven years where Rachel is finally united with her husband. So you go to Leah first, the church, and then you have Rachel seven years later. It's the same pattern. You see that? It's absolutely the same pattern. It's so beautiful to see the typologies in that. It's amazing. You cannot, you could not have humanly wrote that into the text, and yet... It shows you this is what will happen on a grander scale worldwide with the church in Israel 
the church being Leah and Israel being Rachel in the story. Isn't that cool? Awesome. You can't make that up. You just can't make that up. Beautiful typology. Okay, with that being the case, we will pick up this story next week where the girls are fighting about who's the favorite. I wonder how that's going to go. The sparks are flying already. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for what we can learn uh, about Jacob's life and our own life, our nation's life, and the Israel's life. It's a, a picture of all of us. Father, help us not go through life uh, on our own without your help, but dependent upon you, Father, so we are not deceived and don't end up in slavery. Help us to really understand that principle and apply it. And Father, if those, uh, 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 any of us are here that haven't come to faith in the Messiah, they would do so today, understand that Christ died for their sins on a cross, was buried and rose on the third day to give everlasting life to anyone who simply believes. Be with us and bless us as we go now. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us for another lesson. We hope that this message is a blessing for you and helps you grow towards a more mature understanding of God's word. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website at rockharborchurch.net. Until next time, remember, keep looking up for our redemption draws near.